everybody, it's Dan, and welcome to our Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. This is the Hey Mary Kay edition where our football insider subscribers sent in their questions via text answers a bunch of them so that's coming up here on the orange brown talk podcast now if you want to get involved in football insider it is already week three of the nfl season so i don't know what you're waiting for get a daily newsletter delivered directly to your inbox it's written by a member of our browns reporting team you get access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com all those stories with that subscriber exclusive tag you can read those if you're a football insider subscriber and you can be one of our text subscribers so all you have to do is go to cleveland.com browns click on the blue banner up at the top of the page to get all the information and get yourself signed up. All right, here we go. Our Tuesday edition, the Mary Kay edition of the Orange Ground Talk. And away we go on our Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Mary Kay, let's get right to it. Lots of people wanted to ask about the defense. We got a lot of responses. You know, as I was going through them, there were a lot of, uh, you know, some repeat questions. And so I try to kind of get the questions that sort of summed up the themes of what I was reading. So uh, here we go. We'll start with uh, this question from Fort Myers gets right to it. How much of the poor defensive shortcomings fall on the shoulders of defensive coordinator Joe Woods? Well, you know, that seems to be the hot topic, Dan. Everybody wants to pile on to Joe Woods right now. Uh, and after a defensive performance like that, I can, I can understand the sentiment. Uh, but I think there are a lot of things happening here right now. First of all, uh, we went to training camp, obviously, every single day. And uh, there were very few days in which the entire defense practiced together. They almost never practiced together until training camp was over, no more fans, and then Later, like within the week or two uh, before the Chiefs game, you started to see guys trickle back in and voila, there was the defense. But for most of training camp, they were not out there together. It was, you know, Miles and Jadavian were resting. Grant Delpit wasn't out there because of a hamstring. Sione had a hamstring. Anthony Walker had a knee for four games. They never had a chance to gel and work together. Uh, Ronnie Harrison was out for a long time with a hamstring. Denzel Ward didn't practice hardly at all in training camp. Uh, And in my experience of covering this team for so many years, when you miss most of training camp, it is generally very difficult to catch back up and have a great season. Some guys can do it, but a lot of times it's difficult. And I think we're seeing some of that now. I think we're seeing just a, a lack of cohesiveness on that defense Guys not exactly knowing where to be. So that's one thing. And then another thing real quick is I do think it's a factor that Anthony Walker, their defensive signal caller, left the lineup with a hamstring injury on Friday. That's late in the week to regroup. Like you're basically done practicing, right? You come in on Saturday for a walkthrough, but all of a sudden your defensive signal caller is gone. Uh, So I think that had something to do with this game as well. So, let, I mean, since you brought him up, let's, let's skip ahead because somebody asked about Anthony Walker, too. So we'll continue with that question that we just asked, but I'll throw this out there. Hey, Mary Kay, how much did losing Anthony Walker really impact the defense? Again, if it had happened on Wednesday, then that's a different story because then you have two full days after that uh, to get Malcolm in there and to make sure that you've got your green sticker guy rolling along and humming along and, and calling all the defensive plays. But Anthony Walker is not only that guy, he's really, really good at it, okay? I mean, he's a good field general. He helps guys get lined up. He helps guys know where to go. He helps look at the surfaces and see what 
offenses are doing to you that you might not have expected and then helps you put it into place out on the field. He's like another coach on the field. I think it was huge. And I think the fact, again, that he did it on Friday during practice didn't give them a time time to really get it together after that. Yeah, I think it's it's important. I mean, you signed Anthony Walker to come in, play every snap, wear that green sticker. Mm-hmm. And, and when you lose that, it is a big hole to fill. But let's get back to Woods here real quick. Obviously, this is sort of, whether it's fair or not, this season in part was going to be sort of a, a referendum on Joe Woods and, and his scheme. So obviously not off to a great start, but the hope here is that two months from now, we'll kind of be saying, oh man, remember how panicked we were after the Texans game, but it just took a little time. Is that sort of where you're at right now? That maybe it hasn't been great, but one game was the Chiefs. The other game was just week two. There's still a lot of room to get better. Absolutely a lot of room to get get better. And I think that it's going to happen. I, I compare it a little bit to what the offense was like in the early going of last season. It was a brand new offense, brand new scheme, and it took a while to get it together. In fact, it took about half the season to get it together until they really got humming along. And, uh, and hitting their mojo. So I think it's going to be like that a little bit with the defense. But one thing that has to happen is the big name guys have to come up big. Guys that have been around here for a long time, those guys and, and guys that were in Joe Woods defense last year, like Denzel Ward and Miles Garrett, they have to kind of carry the banner a little bit. Now, once again, as I mentioned before, when you lose a lot of time in training camp, I do think it's hard to catch up, to go out onto the field and go from almost zero to a hundred and be at your peak when you really didn't practice much and Denzel didn't practice much. Maybe it translated over onto the field, but I did some notes on him today and looked a few things up and Dan, he was the 18th out of 19 ranked 18th out of 19 Browns defenders, according to pro football focus with a grade in the forties. I mean, he was uh, 45.4. Okay. You, you want your starting guys to be up in the seventies in, in the grade area. Uh, so 45.4, that is somebody that you don't even really necessarily want to have out on the football field. I mean, that's a really bad grade. He was only ahead of one guy and that was John Johnson, the third. So the biggest guy that you brought in, in free agency in the off season to come in and, and really be a leader in your secondary for whatever reason, he graded out at 42.4. I mean, shocker, right? And then Miles Garrett, Miles Garrett. I, I, I don't know. I mean, Miles Garrett didn't really show up in that game. He's getting chipped. We know that he's getting chipped. He occasionally gets double teamed. Every team's focus is always going to be to stop Miles Garrett. That's what you have to do. Um, but it's working and it shouldn't be working is, is the thing. I mean, it's every team's focus to stop Travis Kelsey, but you can't do it. It's, you know what I mean? Although they, yeah, well, I mean, like, yeah. Do you think TJ Watt doesn't get double teamed? Do you think Aaron Donald? I mean, just watch, watch a Rams game. Watch how many, watch how many bodies get put on air on Aaron Donald every single week. Right. So it's, it's a little bit disturbing right now. It's a, it's a concern. I I don't know what's really going on there, but uh, he needs to get untracked and some of it might be, and he mentioned this, he alluded this to in his post-game press conference last night that it does take a little while uh, for the parts to work together. Jadavian Clowney, like, where's Jadavian going to be? And, you know, where's Malik McDowell going to be? And where's Malik Jackson going to be? And who's going to be inside? Who's going to be outside? Whatever the case may be, 
he's got to make the proper adjustments and find the the right matchup for him on any, you know, on third down or whatever, if he, if he can exploit something, uh, but he's got to get himself untracked and make those plays. Remember at this time last year, I mean, he was, we were all like, wow, already. We were like, he's, he's gunning for NFL defensive player of the year. And in, in the first four games of the season, he was lights out. So he's off to a slow start. He needs to pick it up. Yeah, I, I thought he was good against Kansas City. He only registered the one sack. It was obviously a huge one, but I thought he was good against Kansas City. I mean, you saw 95 all over the place in that game. I don't, you didn't see that as much in this game. You know, he was there on the, the Tarod scramble for the touchdown. He was kind of chasing him, uh, but you just didn't see 95 all over the place in, in this football game. And, you know, PFF, you know, again, sometimes I don't always buy all the way into their grades, but when they're as low as, you know, you're, you're kind of citing them. That's concerning. And also they have really good data there and they didn't have any pressures for miles mm-hmm. on Sunday. And, and that's, that's not great. No. And when you have a player like Terod Taylor, who is first of all mobile, but also can get rid of the ball extremely quickly, which is what they did. That was their game plan. It was like fast, quick, get it out of your hand, get it out of your hand. Uh, and, and they were able to do that. But then you bring in a rookie quarterback in the second half who, you know, the game is not slow to him at all. You should be able to get some pressures on, on Davis Mills in the second half. So, yes, I do think that um, it's something to keep an eye on. I mean, maybe, uh, you know, maybe he'll just come alive and jump off the page next week against the Bears. But, you know, he needs to. He needs to start catching up. I mean, we a lot of us went into this season really thinking that this was going to be his year to, to actually put together that full season and make NFL defensive player of the year, make a run at it. And he's off to a slow start. I mean, I haven't looked at the sack totals today, but I know Chandler Jones had five in his first week. I don't know if he had any yesterday or not, but you know, miles has one sack in two games and sacks matter when you're going for NFL defensive player of the year. So he already has some catching up to do in that regard. Okay. So let's spend a little more time on the pass rush because it was a question that came up in multiple places. This is the one I pulled Michael from Lynnhurst. Hey, Mary Kay, once again, where was the much ballyhooed pass rush on the quarterback after requiring Clowney to help Garrett? So obviously it's not just Garrett in this discussion. It is kind of everybody else too. You know, some of these other guys did at least get some pressures, but Miles wasn't getting much help yesterday. No, no, he really wasn't. I mean, it wasn't like Tack had a pretty good week in Kansas city, he had a pretty good game there where you noticed number 55 blowing off the edge. Right. Um, I didn't think he showed up in this game as much as I thought he would, but again, I think the pass rush was somewhat neutralized by the game plan. uh, Just that quick passing game plan that they had. Um, And miles talked about this after the game too, that he didn't think that they were ready for some of the things that the Texans showed them. Now that's going to happen in every game, especially early on in the season. You haven't seen the new wrinkles that these teams have put in yet. They spent time over the summer putting in new offenses and new schemes and new plays. And there's not a lot of film on those things yet. So you are going to see things early on that you haven't seen on film, but you should be able to adjust to those things pretty quickly. And they didn't do that. So these are things to keep an eye on, but Miles did talk about how you know, we just weren't ready for a lot of what they did. We'll see well, how that know, goes. There's also some, I mean, 
obviously there's not a lot of film on the Texans, but you know Tyrod Taylor at this point. I mean, the guy's been in the league forever. There's lots of tape on him. You kind of know what he does and how he plays. I, I think there's certainly it, it, it's different because of scheme and, and all of that stuff. But at the same time, you should at least be ready for whatever Tyrod Taylor is going to do. Yes. And, and I also think with this much talent on the football team, dynamic plays should happen even if they're throwing some new stuff at you. You've got enough talented guys that you should still be able to make the play, that you should still be able to get home, that you should still be able to punch the football out, you know, whatever you got to do. I still think that there's enough savvy veterans on this football team that, that you should still be able to do that. Oddly enough, Dan, when you look at those PFF rankings, the three lowest ones, we already talked about two of them, the third lowest was your starting nickelback, Troy Hill. So you've got the bulk of your defensive secondary grading out the three lowest guys on the football team. And I just thought that that was really, really odd. I, I expected them to be a strength, and I still do expect them to be a strength. But they struggled yesterday. Yeah, and well, and it's three guys that, like, they aren't young guys. They're, they've been in the league. They've been around. I mean, these are the guys you, you count on to be able to at least show up and, and give you a little more than, than what they gave you in that game. And you weren't playing a particularly dynamic passing attack either with a, it wasn't dynamic to begin with. And then you bring in a third round rookie quarterback to, make, to play for the very first time. Absolutely. 100%. And then there were other things like Nico Collins who caught that first 32 yard pass. Uh, you know, he gets hurt. So, you know, they were having their fair share of, of, injuries the Texans were as well I mean in addition to losing your starting quarterback I didn't even do you recall I mean did Laramie Tunsil even come back into the game I'm not 100% sure if not he did. sure I'd have to I'd have to look it up I mean they they may have been without their starting left tackle for the second half you know so you have you, you don't have your one of your best receivers you don't have your starting quarterback you don't have your left tackle for a period of time uh, your defense needs to come up big in those situations. I mean, I, we all expected them to struggle to a certain degree against the Chiefs, right? We did not expect them to struggle against the Texans. We just did not. So, you know, I don't know if they had a, a hangover from the Kansas City Chiefs game or what, but this was a lackluster defensive performance for the most part, except for a few highlights. Yeah, Tunsil did come back in the game. I just okay. Twitter searched here a little bit, and okay. he, he did come back in the game. So okay, forget uh, that. I thought maybe he did, but uh, still, he he was out for at least a little while. Right. Um, okay, more questions about the defense. This has to do with sort of the operation here. Hey, Mary Kay, how involved is Kevin Stefanski in the defensive game plan, and how involved will he be in fixing it? That comes from Leslie in Knoxville. Well, I think he's involved. I don't think he. Uh, confines himself just to the offense. He can't, he has to oversee the whole football team. So I, I think he's uh, involved to a degree, certainly not like he is on the offense, obviously, because he's the play caller on offense and he's got to be way, way, way more on top of the game plan there. He's involved. You know, I actually think that after two games, there are some things that would require, uh, you know, a little bit more intervention from the head coach. So I would think, Whatever involvement he had in the first two weeks, 
he might want to spend a little bit more time with the defense over the next couple of weeks, because once again, this is the uh, like the preseason for the new defense. They never played together in the preseason. You know, in addition to never practicing together in training camp, they didn't have preseason games together. So this is their preseason. They are figuring it out in real time as we all watch. This is kind of one of the tests for Kevin Stefanski here, right? This is sort of, you know, you're, you're sitting in the big chair now. And, I, you know, I think Kevin Stefanski is going to handle it just fine. But sometimes you have to make hard decisions as, as the head coach. I'm not saying he's going to do anything drastic here this week or anything. But I'm just saying, like, sometimes you got to step in and, and say, you know, this is what we should be doing or this is how I think this should be done. Um, and, and you've got to, you know, kind of take some of that stuff on a little bit. Yeah. And, and we've talked about this before. We probably talked about it on our pod last night. And I think this is significant. And that is it's year two for the Kevin Stefanski regime and for his coaching staff and for these offensive and defensive schemes. Now you've got some tape, you know, what these guys are going to be all about. You know, what Joe Woods is going to be trying to do with his defense, right? You you're going to, you're going to have some, keys and some clues that you didn't have before because he hasn't been a coordinator uh, since when he was with the Broncos. So this is kind of new. And, and now teams have, have been able to get into that film over the summer, especially these early teams, not only, you know, did teams prepare for their opener, but you prepare over the summer for the first few games, you spend time really studying your first few games. So I think that's a thing to watch. How are, teams trying to pick apart what Joe Woods can do on defense and what Kevin Stefanski and company are doing on offense. And it, it just is, it worth, it's worth watching this over the next few weeks. All right. One more question on the defense. This comes from Zach in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, basically asking if the Browns are going to have to go Kansas city chiefs here. Hey, Mary Kay to win games this year. Do you think the offense will need to put up 30 plus points to carry the defense? Here's the thing about the defense. I think it's going to come together. I think there are too many talented players on it. I don't expect to see many games like that out of Denzel Ward. Do you, Dan? I mean, no, no, I don't. Not, not that bad. I mean, that was so out of character. I, that first drive, he gave up three passes on the first drive. I was like, what is going on here? I mean, he's, he's your lockdown corner. Not only that, um, he's basically up for an enormous extension. And it's just a year that he really needs to, to prove his value and his worth. Um, so I, I don't think that we're going to see this defense play like this over the long haul. I think that they're going to get a lot better. I think you're going to see John Johnson acclimate. I think you'll see uh, Greg Newsom get better. One bright shining spot was Grant Delpit. Now, having, I mean, it, it was a nice debut by Grant Delpit. It really was. He did, he was active. He was fast for a guy coming off an Achilles and a hamstring. Uh, he made plays. Uh, we have to remember that it was Davis Mills. You know what I mean? It was like, he wasn't making those plays on Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen or, you know, Patrick Mahomes or somebody like that. Um, but nevertheless, it was a very encouraging debut for Grant Delpit. So I think the future is bright for the defense, but I think they are definitely in like, let's figure this out mode. Yeah. And some of it too goes kind of with what you were saying about 
the schemes, right? I mean, these coordinators have never seen Grant Delpit play NFL football. Mm-hmm. Well, now, you know, Chicago's going to at least have sort of seen how he gets deployed and what he does, and, and they can counter a little bit of that. You know, got how the Browns are going to use a guy like Tack McKinley or Malik McDowell, you know. Okay, they have an idea of how they're going to use those guys so they can try and counter some of that stuff. So, I mean, that that's life in the NFL. You, you punch and counterpunch kind of over and over again, these coordinators going back and forth. Yeah, absolutely. And here's another thing, Dan, on top of that is um, you've got a number of really new and young guys that are just, once again, trying to, to figure this whole thing out. So one of their best defensive players, who I think is going to be really, really good, is Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. But he's new and he's seeing things that he's never seen before. And once again, when you have Anthony Walker, who was supposed to be kind of there uh, helping everybody out, and then all of a sudden he's gone. Uh, it, it has a ripple effect on everybody. But JOK is going to get a lot better. He's going to be a good football player. I think Malik McDowell has shown that he has the potential to be a really good defensive tackle. I think Greg Newsom uh, is, is going to have a few ups and downs here and there, but he's already showing signs of being a really good cornerback. Uh, so you've got a lot of new guys out there, and, uh, and they're going to get better. So they – they might be like the offense where in November and December, we're like, whoa, now we see what this is all about. Yeah, I, that, that's part of why, you know, I, I don't think anybody wants to rush to judgment necessarily. Obviously, we're going to talk about it, but I don't think anybody's rushing to judgment about this defense in week two or for a lot of the reasons that you just pointed out. Some more questions from the game in general here. Let's start with uh, Robert from Ponte Vedra, Florida, who uh, always sends us good questions. Hey, Mary Kay, there wasn't an effective vertical passing game against Houston. Was it a matter of offensive line play, lack of confidence in wide receivers, avoiding a Texan's strength, or adhering to a game plan that eschewed longer passes for the short game? I actually don't think it was any of those things, but Mary Kay, I'm curious what you think. You know, I'm not 100% certain. You go into a game with a game plan and you decide that you're going to attack a defense a certain way. And I think that, you know, they, that's what they did. I mean, I think they had uh, an idea in mind of how they wanted to run this game plan. And then they lost Jarvis on the second play of the game. And that throws your game plan into turmoil. Just like last week when they lost Ronnie Harrison on the fifth play of the game, when you lose Jarvis Landry on the second play of the game, it changes things. Okay. It puts you more into 13 personnel. Uh, You know, it just, I don't know. I, I really don't know why they didn't go downfield more. I mean, you have Anthony Schwartz to be able to do that, but by the same token, you don't want to put too much on his plate. We saw what happened yesterday. He made a mistake yesterday. Um, and, and stopped his route. And maybe after that, they were like, okay, we're not going to do that anymore right now. you know, like, let's dial him back a little bit. He's their, he's their deep threat. I mean, they have other deep threats. David Njoku is a deep threat, a, a legitimate bona fide deep threat. But I think those were some of the reasons. I think Jarvis going out, I think, I do think it was scheme and, um, and not wanting to put too much on Anthony Schwartz's plate. I think it has a lot to do with what happened to your quarterback. I I think Baker got hurt and Kevin Stefanski said after the game that he wanted to protect, he didn't want him to get hit. 
And you, you kind of look at last, last week, I'm pulling it up on next gen stats. Baker had the fourth highest intended air yards uh, in the league in week one. In week two, it dropped pretty dramatically uh, to one, two, three. He was actually the fourth lowest. And this is, we're recording this before Monday night football, uh, the fourth lowest intended air yards. And I just think it had a lot to do with partially not having those receivers, mm-hmm. but also Kevin wanted to protect him. I, j- I just don't think he wanted to expose him. I mean, if you're running deeper routes, your line's got to hold up more and your quarterback's more likely to get hit. And I just feel like maybe they didn't want to expose him to those types of hits. And I think it's something to kind of keep an eye on over these next couple of weeks. I know you reported just before we recorded that Baker had an MRI and it was fine, but I, I still think this is something to kind of keep an eye on in the next couple of weeks as that shoulder kind of heals. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right, Dan. That did have a lot to do with it too. That, that is, uh, that is absolutely true. Kevin Stefanski did state that after the game that he wanted to protect Baker. And I do think that, you know, his, his arm was hanging for a bit there. His arm was hanging a little bit. And when he ran into the tunnel, basically, I think all they did was pop the shoulder back into place. That's why it didn't take long. He just had to get out of view of everybody. So you run in, in there and then you pop the shoulder back into place and you zoom back out. You know, he's been through it before, but when that happens, um, you know, you're going to be in some pain. That's uh, you know, that's a little bit of a painful injury. And they didn't know at the time because they didn't do an MRI, of course, right away. They didn't know at the time what was going on with that. I mean, you have to be careful. What if you have, you know, some structural damage in there? So I do think that that had a lot to do with it. They wanted to make sure that they did not risk further injury. And of course, Baker Mayfield is not the kind of guy that's going to want to come out for any length of time and, uh, you know, get examined and have an x-ray or whatever the case may be. He didn't want to do all that. Uh, He wanted to play the game of football. And you're right. They adjusted accordingly. Yeah, yeah, well, when I asked him if he expected to miss any plays after the game, he just answered no. That was that was it. He just said right. no. Didn't didn't expound or anything on on right. the uh, the answer. So he he was going to gut that out. And I, and I agree with you. I think they went back in the locker room, popped it in, yeah. And he came running back out. But I mean, you could just tell like he had that block on Terrence Mitchell, and he was using one arm. You know, when yeah. he was in the post game, he was really kind of holding that that arm up against himself. It, you could just tell there was something going on with that shoulder. And I, and I do think he's not going to be a hundred percent on Sunday. It, it's going to feel better, but it, it might be a few weeks at least before he's like any as close to a hundred percent as he's going to get. Yeah. I mean, you would almost have to consider that to be sort of like a sprain or, or, you know, I don't know if you would call it a sprain, but when, when your shoulder pops out and you have to pop it back in uh, you're going to be in pain. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's a little limited in practice that this week. I mean, maybe not because it's his left shoulder uh, and maybe they'll want to get him all the reps that they possibly can. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if on Wednesday he takes it a, a little easier than he normally would. Uh, you know, he, he needs to let that heal up a little bit. And you're right. I mean, you don't you know, you don't want to you know, you don't want to take a nice big old hit on, on that shoulder and, you know, find yourself with structural damage, which he doesn't have right now. Okay, let's get to some more uh, general questions. This comes from Tom in Middlebury, Connecticut. We had a few questions about wide receivers and Donovan Peoples-Jones. Hey, Mary Kay, we heard a lot about the Browns' depth at wide receiver in the preseason, yet there seems to be some struggles with players everyone expected to be productive, like Donovan Peoples-Jones 
and Rashard Higgins. What's going on with this group? Well, first of all, I think there's a, an important distinction to make between uh, training camp performance and then being out in, in a real game. I mean, you know, when the, when the fur is flying and you're getting hit and teams are game planning against you and, you know, you have a real live defense and you're going to get hit and you're, they're going to try to get the ball out there, out of there. Uh, you know, that's different than what we saw in training camp. So you can, you know, you can be a star, you know, you can be all Berea every single day and that might translate over into the games and it might not. I mean, it's, it's just a different world in the game. How many times do we ever hear uh, Odell Beckham Jr. When, when he talks about chemistry with Baker Mayfield, he's like, the only way you, you can gauge chemistry or develop chemistry is in the middle of the football game. It's not going to happen on the practice field. All those little routes that we saw uh, Baker and Odell running off to the side on air. That's it's, it's nice. It's cute. It looks good, but it doesn't necessarily translate into what is going to happen in the middle of the football game. So I think that has something to do with it. Um, Anthony Schwartz, here, this goes back to what I was saying about training camp, okay? He missed most of training camp with a hamstring injury. You can take all the mental reps that you want, but when you miss camp, you're missing installation, you're missing you know, the muscle memory that you have to develop, and you know, it, it, it takes a little while, I think, to, to recover from that. He always was going to be somebody uh, that was going to have to work extremely hard on his hands. And he's done that. Uh, but now he's going to have to work on other aspects of his game. But Donovan Peoples-Jones and Anthony Schwartz, they, they got to put on the big boy pants and grow up fast right now. Yeah, I, training camp is always so hard because we're there every day and we watch. It's the only time we ever get to watch full practices. And, you know, we were doing podcasts every day out there. We're writing stories every day. You know, these guys become these performances become really big deals. And, and look, rightfully, Donovan Peoples-Jones was awesome in training camp. You know, Richard LeCount had a great preseason. Now he can't even get on the field. He was inactive yesterday. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that these guys are busts or they aren't going to work out, but it's just, like you said, it's just such a completely different animal. You know, you've got to translate it to the field at some point when, when the bullets are really flying. And that can be a hard transition sometimes, especially when you're talking about a young guy like Schwartz or account or any number of guys. I mean, Grant Talbot will probably experience that a little bit too, just because this was his first game in a while, you know, he'll, he'll kind of run into some hiccups here and there, but that's, that's just the nature of the NFL. Yeah. And young guys are going to make mistakes and you just, you have to realize that Uh, you, you, and they do realize that they know that Anthony Schwartz is not going to be a perfect polished product right now. And he's getting more, reps and playing time than he was supposed to. We learned that in Kansas City, they, I mean, they really did. And I've been reporting this. They thought Odell was going to play in Kansas City. And when he didn't, they had to give a bunch of his reps to Anthony Schwartz. So he got 31 snaps in that game. Uh, He's playing more than he was supposed to. He was supposed to be sort of eased into it. So he's been thrown into situations that, um, that might be a little bit much for him right now. Now, I, I think he's really super smart and he's a hard worker and he'll learn from his mistakes, but he's going to make them. I mean, he's going to make them. And Odell, you know, I've been reporting that Odell is, you know, has a good chance of playing on Sunday. 
But you know what? The thing to remember about that is he had a good chance of playing in Kansas City, too. And he decided himself that he wasn't ready on the day of the game. So I don't think we can go by logic and reason and how he looks because it's all what he decides he wants to do and what's best for him. So those guys, those young guys still are going to have to like grow up really, really fast. All right. I got three more here. Uh, let's, let's talk about Grant Delpit just a little more. One of, one of the real positives, obviously from Sunday. Hey, Mary Kay, uh, this is from Stacy in Columbus. How encouraged are you by Grant Delpit's performance on Sunday? He knows it's only one game, but do your eyes and gut tell you if he can be a difference maker now that he's healthy? You know, I think so. I really think that he can be an impact player. And that's why they drafted him in the second round. They had huge plans for him last year. They still have big plans for him. I do think he can be a difference maker. You know, it's remarkable that he made it back onto the field at all and that he made it back onto the field just a little over a year after the Achilles. Uh, this is an injury that claims uh, the career of about 26% of the NFL players who suffer it. That's kind of a high percentage. Uh, so the fact that he's back and he's back soon, I think is great. Uh, and it was a very encouraging performance because he was all over the place and he's so versatile. He can do everything. He can play in the box. He can play deep. He can cover running backs. You know, he, he can do a little bit of everything. Uh, and I do think it was a very encouraging performance and it looks to me like the future is bright. And if he keeps up like this in two safety sets, you know, he could probably displace Ronnie. Yeah, that, that's, that was one of the battles we'd spent some time talking about um, going into the season is, you know, would there be an opportunity for Ronnie to maybe beat out Delpit or the other way around? It obviously never materialized because, um, because Delpit had the, the hamstring issue after he kind of started getting back on the field. But uh, I'm, I'm curious to see how that works out. I'm curious to see just how often they turn to uh, just how often they turn to that three safety look too. I thought that was really interesting the way they sort of traded off John Johnson and Grant Delpit kind of running back deep. I, I think there's some stuff there that that could be really interesting. So mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, he, he, he will unlock a lot of things, whether he makes a huge impact immediately, or even if it takes a little time, he's going to unlock a lot of things. And, and that's, I, I think what Browns fans should be excited about. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, he's, he's fast, he's active. And once these guys that have never played before, I mean, now, now if you, it starts to add up a little Greg Newsom, new NFL player, Grant Delpit, new NFL player, JOK, new Malik McDowell, new. I mean, think about that. I mean, they are surrounded by a lot of good savvy veterans, but these are a lot of really young new guys. Okay. Another question here. This is about kind of the overall division, a little scoreboard watching here. Every team in the AFC North currently sitting at one and one. So this comes from Alex P in Hollidaysburg, Pennsylvania. And this is sort of prompted by the Ravens coming back to beat the Chiefs last night. A really impressive win for Baltimore. A great game by Lamar Jackson after he got off to really an abysmal start. Uh, but the question here is, Hey, Mary Kay, all of the division is at one and one. What are your thoughts through two weeks? And also did the Ravens beating the chiefs Sunday night help or hurt the Browns in the long run? Well, I think it hurts the Browns in the long run uh, because I think it, you know, any victory that the Ravens get, uh, you know, it's going to be a dog fight for the, for the AFC North, you know, I mean, they look much better than I thought they were going to look when you, we just kept hearing about one injury after another. Uh, when they lost Marcus Peters, I really thought that that was going to hurt them 
so much. I mean, when you lose an all pro cornerback, that's a, that's a tough loss. And I've always thought that Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey have been two of the biggest reasons why the Browns struggle against the Ravens. And, but it seems to me like they have just acquired so many good defensive guys, these teams, the, the Ravens and the Steelers really know how to stock a defense. Like they just keep them coming. Right. I mean, they just keep these really good players coming. And so right now it looks like guys have kind of stepped up and, and filled roles and, and it just doesn't seem like they're falling apart without Marcus Peters. So I think anytime the Ravens can get a victory that, that hurts the Browns in terms of the AFC North race. Cause I think it's just going to be, a, it's going to be a battle. I, you know, I thought, I, you know, I don't want to say I counted the Ravens out, but I thought they just were having so much adversity in training camp with ACL after ACL after ACL. And they look good. They look really, really good. And I think the fact that they can beat the chiefs, I think that's meaningful. I think that's meaningful. The other thing that, that comes to mind, Dan, is the fact that I feel like the Browns are really lucky that they have the third place schedule because the Steelers have a dog of a schedule and the Ravens have a dog of a schedule and the Browns have it a little bit easier with that third place slate. Although their, their, their game that they got added, the Cardinals, that doesn't look like such an, uh, an, an easy out. And not that we ever thought it was going to be an easy out, but that looks like it's going to be a tough football game. Yeah, Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury look good if, if Kyler can stay healthy. Um, you know, the point you made, though, I think kind of circles back to the discussion we were having off the top about the defense. And the reason Browns fans should feel hopeful long term is the reason the Ravens are always able to produce good defensive players is because they've had essentially the same GM, you know, it was Ozzie Newsome to Eric DaCosta and Ozzie's still in the organization, I believe. John Harbaugh's been there forever. Mm-hmm. They know what they want in a defense. They know exactly what they're looking for when they go into the draft and, and who they're trying to pick. And Browns fans should feel good that their team sort of feels the same way. Like they know the type of player they want. And when you have that lockdown, you can bring a guy in and develop him, even if he might not be the best player available at that moment or whatever. If you know what you want, you can bring that guy in and, and develop that player. Obviously, you gotta you gotta draft talent. You can't just it can't just be a guy off the street. But if you bring in the right guys that fit what you want, it's it's gonna work out. Yeah, and yeah, it, it always amazes me that they can do it. But you're right. Now the Browns have a really great personnel department in place, and they're going to have continuity. Andrew Barry is not going anywhere for a long time. Kevin Stefanski is not going anywhere for a long, long time. I mean, these guys are here. And you're, you're going to see that. I mean, they're just going to keep funneling guys in here and, uh, and they will have that same sort of, I do think that they're going to have a really tough AFC North defense, the way that the, uh, that the Ravens and the Steelers do, but it's going to be interesting. It's going to, I think it's going to be an interesting AFC North race. Do you still think you, you're still not bought in that the Steelers are going to be able to accomplish anything, right? I still think they're probably a seven or eight win team, maybe nine at, at most. I just, I don't know. Here's my Steelers. I, I looked this up today. Here's my Steelers fun stat of the day. Mm-hmm. They have the second fewest rushing yards in the league. The only team that has fewer rushing yards than them hasn't played in week two. Uh, as we're recording this, the green Bay Packers, 
and they are third worst in yards per carry, tied with the Chiefs and Panthers uh, at 3.3 yards per carry. So this was a team that wanted to come in and run the football this year, and it's not happening. And I just – I kind of watched a little bit of their game today, and I just still don't think Big Ben has very much left. Yeah, I mean, if they're going to do anything, it's probably going to have to come from the defensive side of the ball. And a, a really good defense – can overcome a lot of ills. They had some injuries on their defense yesterday. A couple of their top defensive players didn't play, but um, once again, I, I also think when you have a, a team, an organization that that's good and, and, and it's that well coached, they're still going to win some games somehow. They're, they're going to find a way, I think, to win some football games. We'll, we'll have to see how it goes. Well, and look, and look, they got the Bengals, the Packers, and the Broncos coming up. So I guess we'll see how the Packers look on Monday night, but. Um... They, they got a chance to make me look really stupid over the next three weeks if they can win those three games before they take on the Seahawks and, and then the Browns. So, uh, you know, like uh, I've said it over, I've hedged over and over again. I'm out on the Steelers, but they have a chance to make me look really stupid when they're like four and two after week six. So. Well, you know, you know what though, Dan, <laughs> I'm telling you what, there's a lot to be said. People that people in the NFL always underestimate strength of the opponents people, people do people, people, when you talk about a season, you really have to talk about who did you beat? How good was your strength of schedule? How ready are you for the playoffs? You know, did you limp your way in? Um, and I think the fact that they have, it's either the number one, I, they might have the toughest schedule in the NFL the Steelers. That's going to hurt them. That is going to hurt them. If they had an easy schedule, they, they would probably win. I'd say nine games. But they might not get there. They might get seven, eight, like you said, just because of the strength of their schedule. Well, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But I do think after two weeks, there's no reason that a Browns fan should think any differently about how this division might play out. Or like you've been saying over and over again, that two-game stretch mm-hmm. in November and, and December is really probably going to end up deciding who's going to win this thing. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. All right, there we go. Our Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Appreciate all those questions from our Football Insider subscribers. If you're not a subscriber, head to cleveland.com slash browns and click the blue banner at the top of the page to get all the info and get signed up. And of course, make sure you are subscribed to our podcast wherever you listen to our podcast. Mary Kay, I will talk to you later. Sounds great.